He's James Collins. He is Alec Cranston. And this is the Matter of Facts Podcast. The Matter of Facts Podcast brings you the unsung heroes, the unsung stories, news and happenings from across our wonderful city that you maybe thought happened but didn't quite know the truth behind. And get you all in the loop on what's going on, what's to come, and what can we be prepared for. Hello, everybody. It is fall. It is the Matter of Facts podcast. There's no snow on the ground yet. There's a bit of uh, bit of snow on the uh, the graying hair here. Someone who doesn't have any gray hair because he's young and generally very sexy is Alec Cranston. How are you doing? Wow, man. Thank you. Thank you. I actually look forward to having some gray hair. No, a bit of a silver fox kind of deal. Um, I actually look forward <laughs> to that very day. Although on my dad's side, no one has any hair. So we're going to see what happens there. Uh, yeah, we're in the Matter of Fact studio. Well, you're in the Matter of Fact studio. I am recording from a nice little breakout room in the Queen's Mark today. A little under the weather, so we're just playing it safe, which is fine. I actually love doing it here in the zone, having a good time. He's End never coming day. back into the studio. <laughs> this is it. He's done. This is I'm, I'm done. I'm cut. This is great. Happy to be here and uh, really excited to get going on this episode of Matter of Facts. And we have somebody else right with us right now i can see on the screen james we are joined in the studio uh, by melissa gilbert who's the director of operations for us at cushman of wakefield atlantic hello melissa thank you guys for having me oh you, you've been behind the scenes for the last year and a bit with the matter of facts podcast but but nobody's ever seen yeah. you or heard you so yeah and arguably i took alex's place better hair she did. Yeah, I think. Hair. Sorry, look, look Alec. We're gonna we're gonna keep <laughs> Melissa here forever now. It was you. Your stint on the podcast was was you know we're very grateful for your service to Matter. It was of Facts. good. I, I did my job. It was yeah. like a mat leave kind of thing. I did a, I did my part, <laughs> exactly. and now I'm gone. Yep. Well, this please is how we're here. pushing you out. Oh. We're going to go into Insane as the Crane, uh, uh, and Melissa doesn't know what it is, so we said, look, we're just going to do it. Let's play our jingle. Insane is the Crane. Insane is the Crane. Insane is the crane, kind of insane like the crane. So insane is the crane, I think is particularly insane this month. We don't always have truly insane things that happen. Uh, this one, Melissa, Alec, we're talking about Ryan Keeping. He's a local gentleman. He ran 160 kilometers. Have you heard this story online? Uh, no, no. No, okay. So this is, this is truly a surprise yeah. for you. Um, Alec, were you aware of this before? Sort of, yes. So when you sent me that story, I didn't realize it was him i know who this guy is i have buddies that know this guy uh, i have a, a friends that i still talk to that actually regularly run with this guy ryan he's like okay. very into this stuff he does it all the time and uh now putting two and two together that he's the guy that did this this wild run at point pleasant park it's, wait it's is like, this is this the guy that wears the yellow penny no no this is someone no, no, else <laughs> let me tell you what he did he ran 160 kilometers around Point Pleasant Park in 24 hours to raise money for the Terry Fox Run. So, yeah. of course, the Terry Fox Run being the annual event uh, in memory of, of our Canadian hero, Terry Fox, and his Marathon of Hope, which uh, which everybody knows the story of, which raises money for cancer research. So, Ryan decided he was going to run 160 kilometers in 24 hours around Point Pleasant Park. He was going to donate a dollar of his own money every time he completed a kilometer. But when you break this down... He technically ran six and a half kilometers every hour yeah. for 24 hours. Now, if I run six kilometers, that takes me 30 minutes. And I'm gassed. I'm, not, I'm dead at the end of it. To think I would then have to pick myself up 30 minutes later and do it again for 23 more hours. Yeah, what do you think? That is insane. 
I mean, what a feat. Yeah, that is crazy. Alec. I couldn't even imagine. When I used to live at, uh, in downtown Halifax and I'd walk up from our office on a Duke Street, that little walk up the hill would do me in. I'm, that's my exercise for the day. This guy going and runs 24 hours worth of laps around Point Pleasant Park. I mean, power to him, power to him. But that's just that's just not my cup of tea. And what do you know about it? So, so you you have traced. I was actually looking online to see if we could get this guy in. Maybe we will in the future if he if he wants to do 161 kilometers, we'll have him in. He needs to <laughs> yeah. refresh we can the run story. Here, actually. Run here yeah. now. Uh, how yeah. do you know him? Yeah. What do you know about him? Any anything we should we should know? He didn't go long enough. Clearly, he, he knows how long. to run. Yeah, he does it all the time. So I have some friends I I, I know from school from from back at St. of X, but also from local here that know him and are buddies with him. Um, and I got another buddy who he referees hockey. He goes for runs with this guy all the time and he's always doing it. He's always doing these crazy long runs. Like he'll do, I watched a video recently, like a, like an Instagram story that this Ryan guy posted of him running all the way to Peggy's Cove and back. Like it was just like, Oh, here's what we're doing for the day. That's we're going to go to regular Peggy's Sunday afternoon yeah. thing for most like, people. Oh, gonna... For me, a drive to Peggy's Colvin back, that's a feat. Like, I'm going to walk to Sobeys via My Yarmouth. back is sore by the end of that. So like the idea of running, so, anyways, I mean, he was raising money. That's yeah. amazing. And people matched the donations too, which was great that's to fantastic. see. fantastic. Over a thousand bucks. Lots of logistical questions I have. I mean, like, does he stop to eat? Does he stop to rest? Well, we're all does thinking the obvious. Pee? We're like, all thinking on. the obvious <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, in a 24-hour cycle, our bodies produce certain things. Uh, that don't hang around. So yeah. come on, Ryan, how did this work? It's like they say when astronauts go to go to schools, and you know these these super brains wind up there, and they say they're going to have a Q and A session with the kids, and they're going to ask us all these crazy questions about gravitational pull and what it feels like to launch <laughs> with, you know, a million pounds of thrust and your butt going into space, and the kids say, "How do you poop?" Exactly. You know, <laughs> so we have questions. Um, amazing. We do. Yeah, that, that's a good one, though. I like that. That's insane. Uh, is it as insane as the crane? I don't know, but it is It is insane. It's something I would never, ever do, so power to him. And uh, well done, Ryan. Yeah, well done. We'll put cause. his fundraising link is still open. We'll throw it in the show notes, and anybody that wants to donate can do that, and I would encourage you to do that, as we will be doing. Now, Melissa uh, has a beautiful daughter who she has to go and uh, pick up. Yep. So what we're going to do with a click of our fingers, we're going to thank Melissa for her presence today. And the guys at Podstarter here will do some very clever editing. And we will click our fingers and we will make Melissa disappear. Are you ready for this? You ready, Alec? One, two, three. She is Where'd now she vanished. Go? Oh, Oop, Melissa? Yeah, she's gone. Just Melissa? happened. Disappeared. Okay. All right. Well, that, that is what it is. Um, all right. I think this would be a wonderful time to jump into the Reddit Roundup. Haligonians losing their minds over minor inconveniences. Reddit Roundup. All right, we got a couple cool topics today we're going to bang through. This one here I found today and I was losing it. Post by Capper Crony. Capper Crony on the Reddit Halifax. Meanwhile in Bedford, and it is a photo, and we're going to pull it up here. They're gonna, we're going to show it, uh, of a yellow, like one of those Honeywell porta potties in the middle of the road in bedford during hurricane lee or what was the post-tropical storm hurricane lee and it's just it's perfectly stood up it's not knocked over it's the doors not open it's almost like it was meant to be there and there's not a whole lot of comments on it but it lost me it's not the photo that's funny here it's the comment like it's the, the photo itself it's entertaining it's just a porta potty in a row yeah. but what ties this together to make it truly worthy of the matter of facts podcast is the comments Oh yeah, what the do we got? People gave this were perfect. 
My the first one, and I, I I'm gonna take it because I was so funny. By Ashley Banks, hit single, said it's currently on the market for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars because it's in a good school district. <laughs> uh, per square foot, the uh, the footprint's probably about correct. I gotta kick two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars per square foot. Like that could have I got a big kick out of that. Uh, what else does it say? The new housing developments are getting uglier and weirder by the day. I like Redshirt Down, who said Halifax TARDIS. Uh, and then for any Doctor Who fans out there, uh, the November Mike said, you'd think Doctor Pooh could park better. <laughs> and then the Bean Tiger went, these are the new drive throughs I think they have them in Europe already. Very high class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw Wide Dream 5020 said Porta Pot Lee, because it was Hurricane Lee. Oh, I think that's really I didn't get that it. comment until you read it. You know, sometimes you you read you you like you you read things in your head and you don't get them, and then when somebody verbally articulates them, you do. I read that yes. a minute ago, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to mention it because I don't get it. But then Alec, who's a lot more intelligent than I am, uh, added some context, and now I think that's hilarious. Uh, you know, I, I I have a way with words. I've been told. Okay, so scenario here: you're walking down or you're driving down whatever area in this Bedford this is, and you got to go. Are you just, are you popping in there? Like middle of the road? Are you going to pull over and go in? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. that's what it's there for. No, I think you will. And the reason is, ironically, talking about cranes, you know, we have an affinity with cranes on this show with our, our insane as the crane. These things are sometimes stuck at the top of a crane because that poor dude who takes 11 minutes to walk up and down that ladder to get 350 feet up in a crane, you know, his bodily functions still uh, operate like ours do. So they often yeah. stick. If you look at the top of cranes, there is a porta potty halfway up. Ah. Now, if a guy is going to use a porta potty at the top of a crane, I think it's more than uh, reasonable that somebody would pull over on the side of the road and use a porta potty in a road. I'm 35 years old and. My bladder's not what it used to be, even at 35. So, you know, Tim Horton's bathroom or this one, jury's out. Sometimes at Tim Horton's, you got to buy something to get in there, too. Uh, I like the Mocrat's comment. I heard the roads were kind of shitey, but that's not what I expected. That was a good one. Uh, rumor has it, though, there was somebody in there. Uh, <laughs> when it went in the hub? Can you take a guess on who was in the porta potty? Uh, surprise me I, I don't well for the purposes of the podcast comedy i don't know wow remember last podcast when the guy lost his cake in the storm i do yeah well he found his cake and he ate it in that porta potty <laughs> they opened the door and he was eating the cake oh god he had his cake and ate it <laughs> yeah his cake and ate it he sat on his cake and he ate the cake yeah. there were also like 20 20 something comments. I mean, some of them are, we're not going to read out loud because we might not be able to say them. Well, there's always somebody in these who doesn't get the joke as well. And it's just like, that is dangerous and impedes traffic. You're like, great. You've just disrupted, the, you know, disrupted the, uh, the, the, the comedy here. Shut the F up. Yeah. There was one that like kind of took, <laughs> kind of took that route. Um, I'm not going to read off their name because I didn't realize their name was what it was. Uh, it was I eat something NS, so whatever. Oh, yeah, I so eat... I know I've seen that user out there before. <laughs> I eat cake NS, put it that way. I eat, I eat cake NS. So he said, I mean that crap just took a more environmentally friendly route to its final resting place. Better than a truck pumping it out, driving it around the city, and sending it down some pipes into the harbor. Oh, is that the harbor? I wouldn't go in that thing now. Oh, so error wrong now knows that shite poo 
goes in the harbor. So now they're not going to go in the harbor. Before they would. Uh, I would like, never swim in the Halifax Harbor. One of the, well, I remember when I first came to Halifax, I was 19 years old. And one of the first questions I asked is, do people swim in the harbor? And I was told they do if they want to come out without any skin. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. I well, just people jumping in down right here at Queen's Mark or... People were jumping in by the harbor a couple summers ago. And it's just like, come on, like go to a pool or take a bath. You don't need to be jumping in the harbor. You jump in the harbor, you come out, you got superpowers. Like you're, you're radioactive. No, 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 no. I remember being in high school a long time ago and two guys mm. jumped in a river in, in this city called Sommier and they ended up having to go to hospital because their skin went the actual color of like a... Uh, well, something that's red. They were radioactive. So don't don't jump oh. in natural bodies of water, people. Good gracious me! No, 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 no. Oh, like, well. don't look so sincere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, I, the, this is a great story. Porta potty in the road. Let's go to something more serious. I have a serious discussion, Alec. We will go to our second Reddit roundup, which is by I'm not even going to attempt to say that user B thirty four T box. Five. It's beatbox five. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, but Give I knew the it. Time, bro. Okay, so so it's it's question question, and I have very strong views on this. Okay. Just seeing what your thoughts are. Last three places in a row I went that had tipping restaurant, haircut, pub. The lowest suggested option was eighteen percent. Unless the service is exceptional, I'm more of a fifteen percent kind of guy. Do you guys hit other amounts? Mr. Cranston. So it's very dependent on the where I'm at and the service, honestly. Like I do hit other. If it, I mean, if I'm at a place and I get a, a muffin and a coffee, yeah, I'm, and, and I'm hitting other. If that, like it all depends, right? Like it's like the old joke, like, and we might, who knows, we might have different opinions on this, but it's like when you go to buy a coffee at a coffee shop or wherever, and they turn the iPad towards you and they, all they did, not, not that all they did, it's their job or whatever, but it, it says tip option, 18, 20, 25%. I, I got a, a latte and, and a donut. I'm like, uh, no, I, I hit no or I hit other. Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that will hit other if I don't think it should be 18, right? It depends on the service. I find the restaurant. Um, and again, like there's some times where I don't think it's even necessary to really to really tip i'm not being cheap i'm just it's just i don't know i feel like it sets a precedence if you do um but i don't know what do you think uh james well it is it is a tough debate and you know people say we shouldn't tip because the restaurant owners should pay above minimum wage to the staff well let's just all be adults and accept that is not going to happen until yeah. you're going to start buying stuff on kijiji and offering more than the asking price nobody you can't expect other people in the world to voluntarily pay more so it does put the responsibility on the consumer now i and this isn't gloating i tend to be a high tipper uh, just because i have worked and alec you've been in in service you you were working in the um uh, the the movie theater, right? Cineplex, yeah. Yeah, in Cineplex, and and I was a server my whole youth, and it's a it's a you know could be a really crappy job sometimes. So yeah, tips are your incentive. Now my argument is, if you're only getting served a muffin and a coffee, 
And yeah. the tip options are 15, 18, 20, 25%. There's probably about six cents difference in those. So you should still go high. So I wouldn't tip low or no tip because the sale amount was small. But I, I agree. Like It's unfortunate that the restaurant owners and the cafe owners can get away paying staff so little. But this is, my, this is what my wife and I always say. Whether you're talking cafe, whether you're talking bar, restaurant, whatever. If you can't afford the tip, don't go. The yeah. worst thing you can do is go and consume an under tip. So anywhere you're going today, if you're not going to put 20, 25% on that bill in your head and in your budget before you go, yeah. don't go. Like that's the way I see it. Um, and I actually had a conversation with my father-in-law after, after a round of golf a couple of days ago. And he said the same to me that tipping is the cost of going out. You know what? I agree. Like I honestly, I'm really just saying like for those little small orders, like I just, I just don't, I, and it's not even, it's not a, it's not a cheap and out thing. It's not that I, you know, because I know it's 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 cents if you're buying a six dollar something. It's just for me and, and the principal. I'm like, why am I tipping this? I, I don't know. But in inter- any other circumstance, uh, any restaurant, absolutely nice restaurant or any any dinner whatsoever, absolutely tipping. It's funny though. I find it you get into a if you hit other. That's the scary part. If you hit other, some machines will take you to like. You know, you can type in a percentage, but sometimes you hit other, it makes you type in the dollar amount. Then you're like, you're stressed and you're like, oh, that was 18%. You know, what's 15? I, then you got to do the math in your head and you have to throw in some number. It's like in. Michael Scott, I like you this many dollars worth. Isn't that what he yeah. says? Like, yeah, give, exactly like, what gift cards says. are such a good idea. I, I love you this many dollars worth. Exactly. That's how you know how much somebody has. When he gets uh, uh, Ryan, the $400 iPod. Oh, the iPod. For, for We're going to play like, Yankee Swap. The limit was twenty dollars. Oh, the price tag says four hundred. Oh, does it? Oh, okay. Oh well, I got the best gift. Then he gets the oven mitt and freaks out. Oh, um, Phyllis's oven mitt. You know what's funny? I, I in in my age would find an oven mitt a fine gift. In fact, if anybody wants to purchase an oven mitt, I I would like it. I'd love one with matter of facts on it. Okay, so let this be known: the matter of facts podcast would not deny donated oven mitts with our logo on it so please consider that around these holiday seasons coming up please. actually that's an order from alec cranston bad things will happen if you do not send your oven mitts to alec forget absolutely. the underwear send him your oven mitts absolutely well um, you know uh, go on sorry, sorry. alec i'm uh, 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 it's like talking to my parents in the uk on facetime uh, uh, and then i was gonna say look i think you know we respect each other's positions here this is reddit roundup let's turn to reddit uh, what what are we seeing? Uh, a mixed bag of comments from from what I've I've pulled up. Top comment would be from uh, Lockenvich says I went to a cute little coffee shop and ordered a black coffee to go. Easily the simplest order imaginable in a place with all kinds of fancy espresso drinks. When the person behind the counter handed me the coffee, they looked me in the eyes and said, "There's an option to add a tip." Would you like to add a tip today? That's the first time I've encountered real overt pressure rather than just being handed the machine with options. Wow. And I agree. I would be, particularly as a Brit where we're awkward as F to begin with, to be asked by somebody to put a dollar amount on, I would probably over tip just to not be an a-hole. Even if I didn't want to tip that amount. I think it's different. The privacy of me and my little debit machine. um, That's between me and the debit machine. Not... Yeah. A dollar amount. No. I like Uber, for example. Uber doesn't actually show the driver the tip. You ask your dad, he's Halifax's best unintentional Uber Hey, driver. I'd like to know what kind of tips he's got. I've got to bring on. him on. It, it doesn't, uh, Uber drivers don't see your tip. They get a, apparently a monthly pot is released. Really? They don't see if you tip so, or not. So, no, they say this month, you know, Todd Cranston received 
350 bucks of tips. He doesn't say John Smith gave him four of that. You know, oh, okay. I didn't know that. I didn't L- know Linda that. Jones gave him, him 15 of that. So how do you feel, Alec, about somebody asking you to tip? I, 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 like, How much would you like to tip? Um, I'd be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable when someone asks, how much would you like? And it's like, you know, the number I give is that, that that's me essentially reflecting what I think of them. And, and in my mind, that's the way they probably view it. Um, you know, if I'm dependent, you know, I go to a place, I read one of the comments by Sad Ship, you know, Subway, like Subway now, ha- like they have a debit machine that, that adds a tip option. I think just because a place has an option to tip, just because it shows up on the debit machine or the screen doesn't mean you have to tip like Subway or Quiznos does it too. I'm not, t- not calling these places out. I'm not it's just some of these places have that system that shows it. And I don't think they expect to be tipped. Honestly, it's a bonus if they do. Like if you make the best sub of all time, maybe I will. Get, maybe I am going to tip. Um, I have a question for you, uh, James. Um, it wasn't me. I was not home that night. Oh, well, that takes away my question. What I was going to ask? No, um, no, I was going to ask you when you, if you were ordering pickup, like if you ordered a pickup order and you went and got it, are you and you get there and you pay for it? Are you tipping when you get there? Like if it's in a ba- like it's I order up? a. A new a pickup truck like an F one fifty. Um, no, uh, I get what you're saying. Yes, I would. And yeah, this is the other thing. I'm gonna. You and I are going to uh, agree to disagree here. I I tip as if I was dining in with that because I've always okay. thought it's not my fault that service wasn't per, like the people are working in an environment where they will never provide table service. And yeah. I agree that the time investment is less. This is yeah. the way I see it. Having worked in service, servers rarely keep, and our listeners will be, will be servers and feel free to, to correct us. Halifax podcast at gmail.com for any written abuse uh, or praise, but probably abuse, um, which we prefer. Uh, but People typically don't keep everything. They have to tip out the kitchen. They have to tip out the um, the the greeter. They have to tip out the bar staff. So for every dollar that you give a server, they're not keeping a dollar of that. When that is broken down, a lot of people are giving 70% of that tip like we do in our industry. We split with the, the brokerage that we split with the house. They split among the staff. They've then got to receive that every month if it's on a debit or credit, it's going through CRA and reflecting on a, a T whatever, whatever tax form CRA apply it to. So cash tips can be good too. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's. A, I was going to ask you another question too. As I've asked this to other people before because I'm just curious. As the bill goes up, so say you're at a fancy restaurant or you're with a group of people and you know you're taking the bill. As the bill goes up, is your percentage changing? Like, so, you know, as... Say you're turning into a two, three hundred dollar bill. Are you still gonna tip twenty percent, or are you going down to eighteen now, or are you going down to fifteen, or are you staying strong no matter kind of how high that bill goes? You're still gonna tip what you intended to tip, kind of thing. I, I typically hold firm, although yeah. it really pisses me off when people run up bills. <laughs> if somebody ordered a fifteen thousand dollar cognac, which they have on cruise cruise ships, for example, as their kind of showpiece menu item, I'm probably not going to tip twenty percent. I can tell you now, I'm not going to tip twenty percent on that. Uh, one thing I do think should become the norm, though, is tipping podcast hosts. 
I honestly agree. One of those, like, buy me a coffee And, and Sarah, our producer, uh, who's, we're looking at each other through a window. You don't see Sarah, but uh, tip, tip the produce, producers too. So there's a Venmo link down below, and I think we started about a dollar. You know, what did, what did Ryan Keeping do? A dollar for every kilometer he ran. Kilometer. I think we're a dollar for every minute you listen. So not many people are listening to this for very long. Yeah, and give us tips too, like in terms of how terrible we are at this, and if we're if we could do better, and how somebody else would do it. We love the armchair experts, and we love hearing how everybody thinks. Oh, I love armchair right. experts. Like we've got a major, major court case, a series of court cases, and almost a hundred criminal charges about to kick off in in the U.S. with a, a certain person whose name I won't mention. Um, and we all have opinions. Say my name. It doesn't matter. Alec Cranston. Nobody has the evidence. Nobody, none of us are going to be sat in the courtroom. He is guilty. Yeah. I'd say he is. Anyway, OJ was <laughs> like that. Everyone had their opinions on OJ. Do you remember the OJ verdict, Alec? A bit, bit young, maybe? Oh, yeah. I'm a bit young on that one, man. The I Michael remember... Jackson verdict. Yeah. I remember, like, things. my family, we rented a car one time. A Ford Bronco. Uh, we rented a van or, like, a like an SUV of type sort thing to go down to New Hampshire for a hockey tournament back when I would have been, uh, geez, I would have been like 10 years old, nine years old. Um, so that would have been in 2006, 2007. Um, they call it the OJ Mobile. I didn't realize what that meant at first, but it was like the white. You was thought like it was full white... of orange juice, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it was a white Ford Bronco. It was a white Ford Bronco. That's the thing. That, that's the point. Yeah. That's um, why it was I called f- the OJ Mobile. That's o- OJ's uh, Ford Bronco was recently auctioned, actually. I saw I saw that on the news. Anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we haven't really gone too deep into the in, in, into the comments here. Some, you know, uh, people have opinions. User Bappy says he noticed that the machines now tip on the total amount where they used to tip on the pre-tax amount. I usually just look at the receipt and tip the tax. It's not like in the States where people that get tips make a much lower hourly wage than minimum wage. And that's true. And I, I used to live in Florida. We had friends who were servers were on $2.50 an hour. So the regular, I think, Florida minimum wage was about 11 bucks at the time. And like, I don't judge, you know, people will say, oh, my food took forever. Therefore, I do not tip. But I don't judge the waiter or the waitress sometimes. If it's really busy, like it is what it is. Like, we, you know, you don't get to it right away or there, there's a shortage in some sort of uh, product or material. I, so I don't, I, I, I always, when it comes to tipping, I always try and give the benefit of the doubt to the staff. Yeah. You never yeah. know what kind of constraint they're under. Um, so there's time, there's times where like, even though food came late, maybe it was a little cold, something went wrong, but I can, I can visibly tell the staff is under duress and there's, there's something, there's short staff, which happens all the time, unfortunately, um, or some sort of constraint that'll lead me to tip maybe a bit higher. Because I'm just like, you know what, they're having a rough go at this, right? I, I was at a restaurant one time where we, we had a waitress. Who was I with? Um, I was with a, a colleague of ours, uh, Mr. Harding, Mr. Cameron Harding. I can I can name drop him because it was a nice Oh, a legend, nice a legend. A legend, a legend, Mr. Cam. Harding. We love Cameron. Um, but you could tell the waitress was like visibly just like stressed out from the owner. Like he was there putting pressure on her, stuff like that um and so i tipped i tipped we, tip, we tipped her higher because we could t- and like the food came out slow and this and that but it was all right it was food was great and all that but we did tip her a bit higher because of that it was just like we can tell you're having a rough go there weren't a lot of customers that's the other thing so obviously it was something to go in the back so that means she probably wasn't getting very much work in terms of opportunities to get tipped so we we're like let's split the difference so i'm very 
situational. And I literally, every every time I get in a different restaurant, bar, uh, I was going to say club, but I don't go clubbing. I don't tip, I Oh, don't those tip. were the days. Weren't they? Uh, yeah, clubbing or anything like that. It's very subjective and it's a case-by-case -case basis for me. I don't know, it might sound kind of, I don't know, but it is, that's just how I roll. Sound it. like an old dotty man. And I think that's a good spot to wrap up the Reddit Roundup because it looks like our guest has just arrived in the studio. We have a great guest today. James, let's go welcome her in and get this thing going. Now, if you've been driving around downtown, you've probably noticed some huge changes happening at the Cogswell Interchange. It's that concrete behemoth that's been part of Halifax's urban landscape since the late 1960s. It was born in a unique era of urban renewal, a time when cities were all about making room for cars and highways. Over 150 buildings were demolished to make way for this engineering marvel, which, if we are all honest of, uh, as residents of Halifax, probably did more harm than good. It's been called the Concrete Albatross by many, a relic of outdated city planning that's been hanging around Halifax's neck for decades. But, but, here is the twist. The Albatross is finally getting a makeover. Yep. The city started exploring options for its removal in the late 1990s, and now the Cogswell District Project aims to transform this 16-acre area into something Halifax can be proud of. The area itself is historically rich, dating back to the very inception of Halifax. It was once a bustling waterfront warehouse district and part of the downtown city grid. The project aims to restore some of that lost glory and make it a place where people, not cars, take center stage. So, what's the future looking like for Cogswell? Uh, the plan is ambitious. It includes public spaces, pedestrian experiences, active transportation options, and even urban agriculture. It's not just about tearing down. It's about building up a sustainable, livable, and vibrant community. And here to tell us more about it is Donna Davis, project manager of the Cogswell District Project. Donna, thank you for coming on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Alex. Very pleased to have you. So we'll kick things off. Uh, Donna, can you share with us the overarching sort of vision for the Cogswell uh, District redevelopment? What are, the, what are the key elements that will make this area a vibrant part of Halifax in the future? The key objective of the redevelopment uh, and the creation of this new district is to create a new neighborhood right on the very uh, edge of downtown on prime real estate. Um, it's meant to be a place where people can live, work, play. Um, it's meant to be an area of high density uh, so that lots of people can, can actually live there. Um, uh, is to be interspersed with uh, great public spaces. So there are four uh, key parks that are being developed. Um, a lot of emphasis on the public realm. So the streetscapes are really, really important in this development. We want it to be very livable, very vibrant. Uh, lots of street trees are being reinstated, great places to, to walk on the sidewalks. The sidewalks are much wider. But this is a, an important piece of, of, uh, of an extension of the pedestrian realm as well. So we've included uh, bicycle paths, separated from the vehicular paths, uh, wide sidewalks. Um, so really, this is meant to be a very vibrant new neighborhood uh, where people can come visit and live, work, play. And people are very excited about it. Um, let's address the elephant in the room or the, or the elephant in the studio, and, and that's ongoing traffic congestion and disruption. When, when something this great comes to a city, you need to build it. And when you need to build it, you need to disrupt people. We know that there are some great plans in place. Uh, residents are experiencing disruption. So what is the city doing to address this during 
especially peak hours, and for both sides, for, for personal, uh, uh, commercial and transit traffic. Absolutely. So as you pointed out, you know, this project's going to take four years. Uh, and we knew that it was going to be disruptive. Um, the interchange itself is a, is, a, is a major transportation component. Traffic moves through that interchange at really high volumes and high speed to get to downtown. Um, so we've done a number of things to address the congestion. First off, we were very honest about the fact that uh, things were going to change. You were. I'll tell you, we all knew it was coming. <laughs> we did. Uh, we were upfront, you know, and and I think basically we were preparing people for the worst, that it was going to be more difficult, we felt, uh, to get to downtown. So knowing that, we were recommending that you might want to consider alternate means of transportation to get downtown. Use our transit system. Uh, consider maybe working from home. Uh, alternate alternate uh, work arrangements instead of coming downtown. But the other thing that we did was basically uh, did uh, considerable traffic analysis and looked at the different phases of the project. And we wanted to make sure that we could actually provide uh, reasonable vehicular uh, traffic modes or, or routes through the project during all phases. So uh, during the first phase, which we're just about completing now, uh, there were a couple of detour roads put in place so that we could maintain north-south uh, vehicular traffic. Uh, a four-lane wide road uh, has managed to do that. It was very important for us to maintain truck traffic uh, because all the truck traffic going to the port in the south end of Halifax has to go through this area. So we really looked at how can we still continue to have movement through this area and just not only vehicular movement, but pedestrian and cycling uh, movement as well. The interchange before we started was a very hostile environment. It was not a safe environment for people to be walking or cycling. And I'm very proud of the fact that during construction, um, we managed to actually provide a, uh, a safe pedestrian and cycling route through the project area during construction and we'll so maintain better that. Better than it was. Better than yeah, it was. Good. <laughs> right. So, so that was actually quite surprising and quite pleasing to us uh, to be able to do that. Um, the interesting thing is that I think if you talk to most people, they are pleasantly surprised that the the catastrophe around uh, traffic movement or or the the major slowdown or impact congestion has really not materialized. Now, in part, that's probably due to the fact that you know the pandemic has changed work plan work arrangements. We know that the traffic volumes coming into downtown are less than they were pre-pandemic, um, but a lot of that has come back. And I think by our due diligence and putting those. Um, roadways in, the detour roads in, we've been able to strike a balance where people can still get downtown reasonably quick, reasonably fast, um, and still get to their workplaces and to the places that they want to, to recreate. So the feedback actually has been very positive. Uh, and a lot of people have said, gee whiz, this is not as bad as I thought it was it going be to be. It's hard to get good feedback from residents of anywhere. It, it, it well, can. When, when giving it to the municipality. And yeah. especially around traffic. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, right? Trying to convey that message that you know all we have a solution we have a way to get this done and of course that's where everyone's brain goes is how's the traffic going to flow yes um, but it's great to know that there's a solution in place right now and um things are still moving and the wheel keeps turning um so the cogswell area in general it has it has a rich history there's no doubt mm -hmm. so how is the project sort of planning to honor or incorporate this this rich history into the new the new district development right so uh, during our public engagement sessions in the development of the concept plan, we heard from the public that this was a very important area in which we should uh, commemorate and celebrate uh, the rich history uh, of the neighborhood. 
and in particular of historic communities uh, that lived in this area and whose stories have not necessarily been well represented in the municipality. And I'm speaking specifically about the African Nova Scotian community and the Mi'kmaq community. It was recognized uh, during our engagement sessions that uh, there's a lot of opportunities, different opportunities for one to, uh, through, through art and commemoration, tell the stories of historic Halifax, but more importantly, those two underrepresented groups. So um, there are a number of items uh, that have been incorporated into the plan um, that do speak to uh, the history of, uh, of this area, not necessarily the two groups that I just mentioned. But for example, in Granville Square, uh, there is a large planter. It's a large five-sided planter that we're just putting in place now. Um, the size of that and its location is very intentional. It is meant to represent the foundation of the Pentagon building. If you Google the Pentagon building in Halifax, it's this marvelous three-story building that once existed on that site. And it was one of the first buildings that was torn down to make way for the interchange. Coming full circle here. Coming full circle. Yeah. So we saw that as an opportunity to, uh, instead of just putting a planter in that space, to make it five-sided, um, Each of, and, and people are going to be able to sit around. It's going to be a central feature uh, in the park. Uh, we will put the historic street names uh, on the on the each side of the planter so that people know, um, you know, where where the historic streets were. But it also then opens up opportunities for us to start telling stories about the interchange and the impact that the interchange had on the neighborhoods that you spoke about earlier. Um, so it's kind of a, like a bit of a jumping off point. So that is one of the things that's been incorporated. Um, in one of the other small parkettes uh, that's located near uh, near the casino, uh, adjacent to D&D property, uh, the little parkette is, um, uh, has, a, has a concrete base, has a concrete surface, and it's, the concrete is actually going to uh, represent the old finger piers of the Halifax waterfront. So there's an opportunity for us to talk about and help people come to understand the historic waterfront of, of Halifax. So there's a couple of things that have been incorporated already into the design. What we're about to do is embark on um, the creation of an art and storytelling uh, plan. Um, we're engaging a consultant and that work should start very soon. We will be starting to engage with, re-engage with the African Nova Scotian and um, Mi'kmaq communities and get, delve more into uh, what the opportunities might be for incorporating um, their histories and their stories within the uh, various public spaces and the public realm within this project. So we expect that that activity will take place over the next nine months. And then before the project's finished, we'll start incorporating some of those elements um, into the project. And something else that you're incorporating, I just got the word here on, on our notes, is, is urban agriculture. Mm -hmm. Now, I, my head tells me I'm going to be driving home from work and there's going to be cows and sheep on the sides of the road. <laughs> and I know that's the, the naive, easy answer. So in, enlighten me here. That, exactly. T teach me something here. So um, what is and what is the application of the urban agriculture side of this project? Yeah, so Sounds fascinating. Yeah, so I don't think you're going to see cows and chickens and things well, like that. I grew up in a within... country where there was sheep everywhere I drove, <laughs> so I would feel at home. Uh, but i probably say the, the interchange or the old interchange is yeah, not the best place to see them. So in the north end of the project, adjacent to the roundabout and adjacent to the wastewater treatment plant, uh, there's a fairly significant green space that we're going to be creating, recreating from the old Barrington Street. So we're taking about four, four or five of those lanes uh, from old Barrington Street 
um, and that will be converted into a park and community garden. So the, the urban farming is really focused on community gardens. And we know that there's a lot of interest uh, in the neighborhood for community gardens. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, newcomers to the area, uh, a lot of immigrants, and we've had a lot of feedback that that would be one of the things that would be very important to them um, to be able to, to have a small plot to grow some of their fruits and vegetables that they're used to um, and to help with food security as well. So we're really uh, excited about the fact that there's going to be a pretty substantial community garden directly adjacent to the wastewater treatment plant um, and and it's 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 taking up the space of what was once part of the part of the freeway I think it's a, that's a really good addition uh, to mention the UK again with with high density housing in the UK mm. one thing they started doing 100 years ago was the urban allotments so people Correct. had a small plot where if you lived in a terrace house and you didn't have a backyard you had the place to grow the vegetables and and talk about food security as well so um, I have never seen that really in Canada beyond the vegetable garden that I tried to um plant in an old hot tub which got eaten by deer <laughs> so uh, i'm also a big a big supporter of people keeping bees so if you can incorporate bees as well into that good bees don't sting people and i think that would be a wonderful and wonderful addition they are vital to our ecosystem absolutely and there might be that opportunity to do that we won't be operating the community garden uh, we being the project or we being the municipality we will be working with community groups who are interested in taking on that responsibility so yeah absolutely beekeeping would be a, a fabulous addition mm -hmm. to it one other thing i do want to point out about the community garden too is that many of the um the allotment areas will be built so that they are accessible to those who uh, may be um you know have some mobility challenges. So for those who uh, will be gardening from a wheelchair, for example, we are wanting to make those allotments and those plots and those those garden um, uh, plots uh, accessible for That's everybody. Mm. So in, in, in mentioning community gardens and also how, you know, once this is all complete, we want it to be an area that, you know, not just cars are flown through, but people as well. And it's, it's, a, it's a destination and it just overall contributes to downtown core. Are there any other public spaces that are kind of planned as part of this redevelopment uh, besides the community gardens? Um, and sort of what is their contribution to the, to the whole project and the community in general? Yeah, so actually approximately 40% of the entire area of the project is devoted to um, public spaces like parks, parkettes, greenways, and public realm. Um, so that's pretty exciting in terms of the overall project. So there are four uh, parks that are being developed. One, one is quite large. It's in the south end of the, of, of the uh, development. It's in a pivotal location right at the end of historic Granville Mall. We're referring to it as Granville Square. Um, it will be a square in the true urban sense of a square. It'll be a major gathering point. Uh, for people, uh, there'll be lots of um, seating, benches, landscaping. It'll be a real people gathering place that'll draw people from the Barrington Street. It'll really link Barrington Street to Granville Mall, down to uh, Hollis Street and Upper Water Street, and really make that lovely connection through to the waterfront for pedestrian movement, which is non-existent um, actually right now. It'll be a great place for office workers to spend their lunch hours, we will be building a, a small stage there, so there'll be a performance venue as well. Um, a large part of that area will be grassed, so we're calling it the Great Lawn in downtown. There will be fairy lights to light the pathways uh, through through the project area, through that park area, so that's pretty exciting. And a central feature besides the planter I spoke about, 
uh, is an interactive fountain. So we see that interactive fountain as being a really great place for um, um, kids and big kids uh, to come and cool off. Don't and go it, to the wave anymore. Downtown. That's right. Go, go, that's go right. To come, fountain. No. come, come to the new fountain. Come to the we new fountain. We can't get Alec off the wave. He runs up it every time oh, we're downtown. I love going to the wave. Come yeah. On, well, this here today. Come on. This one, seriously, that's a wonderful idea. It is. We we don't have any interactive fountains. Uh, Control in... the fountain, or have, yeah, can so... can you tell us more? Or if you if you can't, we we respect it. We'd well, love to know more. There will be um, water. There will be water involved. There will be fog involved. There'll be a, a whole sequence of different. Um, I guess, water components uh, to the interactive fountain. It'll be a place where you can just sit and enjoy it when it's dry. It'll be a great place to sit and enjoy it if you want to cool off and and uh, and that. So it, it's going to be a pretty exciting feature uh, in the middle of that square. So I can see Mayor Mike Savage in the fountain on his lunch break right now. Possibly. Yeah, what, what I can great too. use of space. <laughs> um, and let's talk bridges as well for a second. You know, people people transiting through the old interchange. Yes. Uh, when I lived in Dartmouth, that was the first and last thing I saw coming or going from Halifax. Are there any plans to improve flow out to the and off the McDonald Bridge? We will continue to um, maintain Barrington Street as a major thoroughfare uh, from the north end of the, of the city through to, to downtown. Uh, Barrington Street will be four lanes wide. Um, there is the opportunity for two of those lanes to be devoted to bus bus transit only um, to facilitate the bus rapid transit initiatives of the city. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're designed in order to accommodate all of the vehicular traffic that does come into downtown. Mind you, it will be going at a much slower speed than what you see now. And um, the roundabout that we've put in place uh, has several purposes. One is it's going to work as a traffic calming feature. So when you're roaring in on Barrington Street from the north end, you're still on sort of a freeway type street, that roundabout will demarcate that, A, you need to slow down and you're now coming into the new entrance into downtown and you're coming into urban sized streets as well. In terms of facilitating access to the uh, to the bridge, we've done numerous traffic studies, um, and uh, the traffic will still move quite easily um, to and from the bridge. We're not expecting there to be a major congestion. There will be slowdown at peak periods um, in the morning and in the afternoon, um, but the congestion will be managed. Um, but you know, some of your trips into downtown might be just a little bit slower than they used to be when the interchange was there. There's nothing wrong with calming traffic. I, exactly. I now see that, you know, the entrance to Hollis becomes the only traffic calming feature. The mm. lights are coming off, off Barrington there. So, yeah, good. All good. Yeah. So the roundabout really is going to become that new traffic calming feature coming into downtown. And then because we're reinstating the grid system, um, those various cross streets will will be operating uh, with with traffic controls. So that again will be another form of traffic uh, calming um, throughout the project area. Awesome. Uh, so you mentioned Donna that uh, with the um, community gardens, there was mm -hmm. there be aspects that would be accessible to those who may have disabilities or and would require such accessibility. Uh, are there other aspects of the redevelopment, you know, design for pedestrians and cyclists and, and just general users with accessibility challenges to still support them and support their use. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of pedestrians and cyclists in particular, uh, there has been a heavy emphasis in the design of the district uh, to give priority to pedestrians and to cyclists. So there are two uh, greenways being developed that uh, one which will uh, follow Barrington Street and will provide a, a north 
south connection on the east side perimeter of the district. The Greenway includes a separated bike path um, and treed medians uh, separated from the sidewalk and, of course, separate from vehicular traffic by curbs. So that lovely Greenway will provide uh, priority for pedestrian and, and uh, cycling movement. Similarly, on Cogswell Street uh, between the waterfront and up to Brunswick Street, which is the end of our project, uh, is another greenway, and it's very much designed like the Barrington Greenway. So clearly, we've taken the street right-of-way and provided very specific spaces for pedestrians and cyclists, as well as vehicles. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case with the old interchange. The only user that that accommodated were vehicles. So now uh, we've accommodated uh, pedestrians and given them equal weight uh, to the vehicles. Um, and we've also, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, talked about bus priority uh, through this area as well for, for the curb lanes. Another major feature of this project is that we are striving for Rick Hansen Gold certification. So we've been working with the Rick Hansen um, Association and through this whole design exercise, looking at opportunities in our design to make sure that we are accommodating um, all peoples with all disabilities, whether or not they're physical disabilities, mental disabilities. So there's a whole variety of features here that we've included in the design and we will be implementing through construction that will, will help those, uh, those individuals. So for example, the community gardens, as I mentioned, so those plots are being created and those gardening containers are being created such that they'll, they'll serve everybody, whether or not you're in a wheelchair or whether you can stand or, or not. The roundabout, so we have um, flashing beacon uh, crossing lights there that are pedestrian activated. So pedestrians are actually given priority in the roundabout. Um, and so traffic will come to a standstill and stop. But those flashing beacons are, are put in place for, for everyone to use, but in particular those who may be um, visually challenged. Those have, have also been in place. Um, you'll notice in the, the part of the, um, the greenway that we've completed now down in front of the Marriott, we have um, pavers that we've put um, that separate both the bike path from the sidewalk. And those are raised um, pavers so that those who walk with um, walking sticks um, and, and uh, that can, can demarcate the difference in the, the surfaces. Um, the number of benches that you will see along the greenway and along the pathways, those have been identified for um, those who you know, may not be able to walk long distances, either because of physical challenges or per perhaps of mental challenges. So there's been a whole variety of different features that we've included in this project. Um, extra wide sidewalks, you know, to give pedestrians lots of uh, uh, movement and lots of opportunity to move. So again, um, we are working towards the gold certification. And right now, if we complete everything that we've included in the plan, we're going to be successful. No, well, good luck with, with that. And clearly, this is a project for the people. So going back to people, how important was community involvement and engagement with, I suppose, the planning and now the ongoing development of the project? Can you speak a bit to um, to how local residents were consulted and, and decision making capacity they had and how that continues as the project develops? Sure. Um, yes, right from the very uh, inception or of, of the idea of tearing down the interchange and doing something with it, creating the new neighborhood, uh, 
uh, that was that was precipitated by a major public engagement uh, initiative back in 2010. Um, and so and throughout the entire design process, there were different levels of engagement. Um, probably the most significant of which during the design exercise was during the 90% phase. Um, a lot of the work prior to that was really in terms of establishing the new street network. How are we going to make the underground services work? The, sort of the large picture pieces that we needed to put in place. But in terms of finessing the plan and truly making this a really important and vibrant people place, uh, that's where uh, the engagement, the extensive engagement we did at the 90% level really paid off. So the details that you see relative to all of the, the four parks, for example, really came from the public. That was the guidance we had. We had a few ideas about those park spaces, but not really how they should be utilized and the details around them. Uh, similarly, uh, things like really wide sidewalks uh, and making sure that those uh, the streetscapes are really inviting and great places to be. Lots of seating, lots of street trees, all of the great street furniture, making those really in, uh, vibrant places. A lot of that detail actually came from, from the public. We continue to um, engage with the public during the whole construction uh, project. It's more at this stage, not so much engaging to ask them what they'd like to see, because that's pretty much been set in stone. Um, and uh, through our construction drawings. Uh, so, so a lot of the influence of what, what you're going to see in the new neighborhood came during that design exercise from the public. Right now, what we do is there's a lot of engagement with, um, with stakeholders and with the public to, to let them know about the progress of the project, about possible changes in, in traffic patterns, uh, any potential impacts there might be um, as a result of the project. So. Um, we do a lot of um, public service announcements or if we're going to be uh, adjusting traffic patterns. Uh, we work very closely with abutting property owners uh, to let them know about um, uh, any changes that may be uh, happening in front of their properties and or impacting their properties. Because, you know, a lot of the underground work that we've been doing has been pretty disruptive. Um, it's, it's, it's big, it's complicated. We're trying to keep services going, but at the same time, you're trying to put the new services in and then trying to not impact access to properties uh, and the existing services they have. So most of our engagement right now is, is really about keeping people informed about the project and our progress and trying to keep people excited about, about the initiative. And in our world, in Alec and I in commercial real estate, we, um, for example, to give a specific example, we had a lot of concerns raised from us with tenants in Purdy's Wharf uh, when looking at renewing leases, should they stay or should they go? What will the Cogswell redevelopment do for a, a period of disruption, which could be an entire five-year lease term for them? We made the case that that it, it might feel inaccessible, but at the end of the project, Purdy's Wharf will be the most accessible set of office towers in the city. It's always darkest before the dawn and you just have to get through that period. So we try to help people in our role see the long-term view that the disruption is going to be there, uh, the noise is going to be there, but you are going to be in prime real estate in, in a prime location. Uh, you, it's your decision off the back of that information if you stay or if you go, um, but but that's how we see it. So, you know, it sounds yeah. like you're, you're also giving the right messages to the right people and uh, we can all be as harmonious as we can be, which which can be tough. <laughs> well, and your point is your point is well taken. And again, certainly, you know, for a long time before we started construction, we've been working very closely with uh, Purdy's and the casino and the Marriott and all the abutting property owners. Right back at the very conceptual stage, all of those people were invited to come and participate in the creation of the project. 
uh, and to have their say. And the outlook of, of almost everybody that we've we've worked with is exactly that, that they see it as being short-term pain for long-term gain, that uh, they're, they're going to be facing something absolutely amazing uh, and beautiful with a lot of you know, great public spaces, great parks, public realm. Um, and the accessibility is going to be greatly improved with the new street system going in. So um, yes, and, and then during construction, we've been really trying to work hard with all of those folks to try and make sure that we mitigate as best as possible uh, any accessibility concerns that they have to those, to those properties. Great. Piggybacking what you said, James, just like dealing with our clients and, you know, what they ask us about, you know, what's going on, you know, is this going to affect my business, the accessibility, the access, whatever it may be. I think the overarching question is what's next? What's the future? What, what, what's the timeline? So I guess my question would be, what, what are sort of the next big milestones for the project that residents and, and local business owners should be, should be looking out for and aware of? Sure. So I'm happy to say that we're uh, basically halfway through the project. Uh, we're just completing. Congratulations. Thank you. Very nice. Awesome. <laughs> um, we're uh, just completing phase one. And so phase one was really about putting in place those detour roads so that we could maintain traffic through the project while, while we start to tear down some of the, the above ground infrastructure and, and overhead passes and, and, and road infrastructure and start putting in uh, new underground services. We're now about to enter into phase two. So uh, speaking of traffic disruption, uh, we are going to, to um, implement another detour road. And that involves both Cogswell Street and both Barrington Street. Uh, starting in October, we will be closing down the Cogswell, the remaining Cogswell ramp that exists. And that east-west connection will be closed uh, for approximately seven to eight months until June of next year, uh, in which case at that point in time, we'll reopen up Cogswell Street and it will be the new and improved Cogswell Street. It will be the Cogswell Street at grade. Uh, following that, we will then close Barrington Street from Cogswell down to Duke Street. That is going to enable us to make the connection of the new realigned Barrington Street to the old Barrington Street, as well as uh, uh, deliver the new transit hub a year in advance. So that's essentially phase two, is really our focus on that, that two-phased approach to putting in road detour five, as we're calling it. It will allow for us to, at the end of that, basically complete the east-west uh, connection of Cogswell Street uh, in the project. It will allow us to uh, finish the new realigned Barrington Street right from one end of the project to the other. And uh, at the end of 2024, we will also open up the roundabout so most of the, the, the street configurations will be completed by the end of uh, 2024. And along with that, we will have uh, also completed all of the underground servicing for that realigned uh, set of streets. So that leaves us with then phase three in 2025. And uh, we'll be finishing up some adjustments to Upper Water Street in the vicinity of the casino. We'll, you'll see... Uh, the, the remaining three parks materialized, the two parkettes that I didn't really talk about, plus the community garden. You'll see the readjustment of uh, Old Barrington Street. It will be converted into a one-way uh, street. And um, uh, you'll see also the final implementation of a multi-use path um, that will flank the west side of the project and connect uh, the roundabout through to uh, Cogswell Street. So just so I heard that correctly, Barrington is going to be a one-way street. Barrington Street, as we know it today, between Cornwallis Street 
and down in behind the uh, the old or the sewage treatment plant, yes, will be a one-way street going northbound. It's okay. currently we'll five or six lanes. We'll we'll love it eventually, and we, we will. will we will adjust. Donna, this has been very informative for us, and obviously a major major project here in in Halifax. Residents are always curious. You have the online hub, and and I feel information is extremely accessible. But for residents, where should they be going to learn more? Uh, I admit there's a lot of people that, that don't know what's going on. Where can they see the grand design of things, and where can they get updates aside from monitoring your social media channels? Yeah, the easiest place is just to go to the uh, municipality's website, halifax.ca backslash Cogswell Redevelopment. Everything is there. The original concept plans, uh, lots of renderings are there to show you graphically and quite accurately what the final product is going to look like. Uh, all of our updates in terms of adjustments to traffic and the detour roads, everything is there. So the very best spot is to just go to halifax.ca and, and look for Cogswell Redevelopment. Well, we're very grateful. Alec, what do you think? I'm excited. Absolutely. That, that this was is great. all positive, I, James. James. Like you said, a lot of people don't know, right? And it, it's like I, I consider myself one of those people that I, I check in every once in a while, but it's nice to hear, you know, top to bottom kind of what's going on and what's to come. And it, it gets me very excited. I mean, I, I, I don't live in Halifax anymore, but like you, James, we work in Halifax, so it definitely affects us. I have family here too, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next and, and how it kind of comes together. Very excited. Thank you so much for your time, Donna. We appreciate this, and what a what a wonderful project for the city. Let's, uh, I, you know, hope it runs on time. <laughs> and I look forward. I would I would have said driving down it. I look forward to walking through it. I tell you that very much. Having my lunch there, or, or cycling, or cycling, or yes. Cycling. Well, thank, thank you, you very much for the opportunity to talk about the project. Thank you. And that concludes another episode of Matter of Facts with myself and James. What a great time we had. Epic, epic. Alec, I hope you feel better. Thank you for uh, just just for our listeners here. Uh, Alec was more than happy to come in today. Me being a total germaphobe who tends to stay sick for a long time was like, yeah, one of us isn't coming in this time. So I appreciate you doing this remotely and Absolutely. wonderful episode. We'll be back next month. Have a great month. We'll maybe even have some snow on the ground next time we speak. Hope All right. That. I hope so. Take care, everybody. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Matter of Facts podcast. But you can get more of us. You can subscribe on any good podcast provider. You can follow us on Instagram at Matter of Facts Podcast. And for all that great feedback and abuse, you can send it by email to HalifaxPodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find James Collins and I on the internet. Please do get in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time.